Good morning, Africa. In this episode, we look at energy financing and how it can be done to deliver economic transformation across Africa. Good morning, Africa. Welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa. I am Ritha Dong. For more, follow us on Twitter at The K Financial and you can find me at Ritha Dong. A paper by Kenny Bonley and Taraj Jamaz has brought to the fore the fact that energy poverty remains prevalent in many African countries, hindering economic development and exacerbating social inequalities. Simultaneously, population growth throughout the continent is expected to perpetuate the already high demand for basic energy services in the coming decades. So private sector finance is increasingly regarded as a necessary ingredient to remedy Africa's energy challenges and to stimulate the adoption of renewable energy. However, investments remain insufficient for the burgeoning infrastructure requirements of the African economies. Joshua Kabogo, digital and finance specialist at the United Nations Capital Development Fund, says African countries should be looking at standardizing energy policies and regulations while working on several financing modalities. I think sustainable energy is a blend of on and off grid energy sources. It's a blend of households, welfare, energy, and production. Uh, sustainability comes in because, of course, we are not using fossil fuels, we're not using all these things that destroy the environment. But I think that the fact that most of Africa is, and not just Uganda, because I mean, we have the privilege of working across LDCs, and that's where most, so, so many of the African markets are. Yeah, as a UN agency, we do that. I think we need to be able to, first of all, scale access for, for, energy service providers, access to finance. I generally think that for sustainability, for, for sustainable energy access to, to happen, there has to be each market has to subscribe to the levels of deliberate action that focus on three areas. One, access to finance for a key stakeholder, if it's government, if it's companies, if it's uh, regulators, they need to have the funding they need. Two, policy and regulation. We've been having an issue about uh, standards in East Africa, uh, in Africa overall, uh, what standards will look like, what that shouldn't look like. If we can agree on, on those pieces, so that's a policy and regulation piece. But what should we accept in our country? What shouldn't we accept? If we accept it, do all our neighbors accept it? Do we have the same standards as the East African community, for example, or the southern countries or some? That's the regulatory piece. So the financing piece is one, the regulatory piece is to the third, which I think is really important, is consumer finance. I don't like using the word subsidy. But, but affordability has an, a tendency to go in hand in hand with the word subsidy. That where someone can't afford, someone has to meet that bill. That usually comes in the form of a subsidy or a grant or something. Someone has to foot that bill because if I can't afford it, someone should be able to afford it for me. If it's not my government, it's someone else, but someone has to afford it. Because end user finance can come in the form of maybe that. Um, I know it, it doesn't sell too much these days in the, in the solar space and no one likes to hear it. It's not about the subsidy. It's about the structure around the subsidy, because uh, subsidies have been abused used and abused so many times in our developing markets. So the end user financing can come as from a subsidy, but properly structured subsidy, not just a subsidy. It can come out in, in the form of uh, uh, financing companies such as these, debt, equity, uh, uh, grants, uh, because they, they accelerate access to energy by supplying the solutions that, that give the users this, this access. The users themselves can have some end-user financing, and that's where things like PEG will come in. If I can give you the system now, and you put a 10% down payment, and then you pay it over time, I'll literally pre-finance your asset uh, to give you energy. And the asset that will have cost maybe $700 in a short term, which you don't have, you can have the asset now and get access to energy, and then pay it off over time. So, and so, so I'll summarize it for you in three things. One. Our markets, as African, African markets, have to deliberately action three things. One, 
is uh, end user financing. Two is policy and regulation, and three is access to finance on the supply side. Mr. Joseph Enyemu, an economist with Uganda's Ministry of Finance, Planning and Economic Development, says more room should be afforded to equity financing and capital markets to mobilize money for investment in the energy sector. How do we reduce on the pressure on the biomass in the country? So with respect to your question as to whether we can be able to move in line with the policy direction that is unfolding, I think for me the answer is we need entities or vehicles that are fit for purpose. So we would need to understand where the country is currently, what configuration of the players, what type of uh, partnership with the private sector will serve the purpose that we are trying to deliver as a country. Uh, Of course, high on agenda, like we are saying, is how do we avail energy in a way that facilitates competitiveness? I think that the financing space now provides for a blend of instruments. There are new financing models and mechanisms that can allow a hybrid of you know, engagement between the public and private sector. Uh, for example, on the high load demand centers, it may not be very viable to continue expecting you know, the private sector to sink in that magnitude of capital to be able to deliver power to these load centers at the speed and scale that government is looking at for transformation. So do we need to reconfigure the space where the private sector can play and still facilitate our purpose, which is building a competitive economy? As you know, the savings and investment gap in the economy is narrowing if you factor in all the resources in the pension sector and all the global capital, which is really having a very low rate of return and looking for vehicles. So the issue is, where is the room for equity financing in this Where is the room for the capital markets to play their space in mobilizing maybe non-bank financing? It does not have to be traditional financing from the public sector. The idea is how are we buying down risk? What instruments can we deploy? So for us, that is the conversation we are looking at from the Treasury side and make sure that we have a configuration that serves the current purpose of the country. Are projects in Uganda still bankable? It depends on how much investment and time you put in structuring the project, the studies. So it's preparedness and the culture of uh, investing at that stage. We have, of course, experience with uh, rushed project preparation. In the long run, you pay a very high price. So we think that we can borrow expertise from uh, people who have experience in the you know, market financing. That was Joseph Enyimu, an economist with Uganda's Ministry of Finance, Planning and Economic Development. Joshua Kabogoheva says the responsibility for capital markets to mobilize money for investment in the energy sector should come with giving capital markets authority to deliver on their mandate. So the first thing I think we need to do is, is develop the structures that then support the um, development of capital markets. We can learn from our neighbors. We can learn from Kenya that has a more progressive market structure. We, we can learn from uh, maybe Rwanda that's accelerating really quickly effort and actions to support the capital market structure, to support 
raising money outside the conventional means, outside the banks, impact investors. There has to be a deeper effort. The players have to allow themselves to explore these options. And I don't think that's something that everyone is aware of. So I think one of the things that has been done is, is a bit more awareness. Secondly, is a deliberate effort to actually then support. And that's on our part, as all the players, including ourselves as private players, uh, development agencies, perhaps. And this is something I can just say, non, not because I know it for a fact, but I think that maybe the, the Capital Markets Authority could be given maybe a bit more authority to do what they do. And I think the more authority they get, the more they can be able to get done. That was Joshua Kabugo, Digital and Finance Specialist at the United Nations Capital Development Fund. A quick review of the other stories that are making it into the podcast. Default fears continue to stoke China Evergrande Group despite efforts by its chairman to lift confidence in the embattled firm as markets looked for possible intervention by Beijing to stem any domino effects across the global economy. Analysts played down the threat of Evergrande's troubles becoming the country's Lehman moment, though concerns about the spillover risks of a messy collapse of what was once China's top-selling property developer have roiled markets in an effort to revive the battered confidence in the firm. Evergrande chairman Hugh Kahuan said in a letter to staff, the company is confident it will walk out of its darkest moment and deliver property projects as pledged. Kenya's 2020 exports to the East African community rose by 12.7% to hit $1.44 billion, an increase from $1.28 billion, accounting for 64.3% of the country's total exports to Africa. According to data from the Kenya National Bureau of Statistics Economic Survey 2021, Uganda was the largest export destination for Kenyan goods to the ESC, accounting for 29.3% of total exports to Africa. Export earnings from South Sudan rose from $114.6 million in 2019 to $211.1 million in 2020. The exports to Rwanda also rose by 8.8%. And a look at our markets. The Nairobi Securities Exchange recorded a drop in equity turnover to 183.7 million Kenya shillings when trading ended at the bourse yesterday compared to 384.8 million on Friday last week. The number of shares traded was 5.9 million compared to 12.3 million previously, while equity deals totaled 1,222 from 1,008 at the previous session. And a look at the Rwanda Stock Exchange. It was a busy day on the bourse as over 57 million francs worth of bonds were traded on the fixed income market, while the equities market saw over 97,000 shares exchange hands. This had an effect on both the Rwanda Stock Index and All Share Index. Both indices went up 0.62 points for the RSI and 0.17 for the All Share Index. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. And if you have any suggestions or you want to check out more stories, visit our website. That is the K Financial. And don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K Financial. And you can find me at Ruth Adong on Twitter.